Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, the sassy and mostly classy co-host. And I'm Katie, the sassy and completely smart-assy co-host. These are facts. Mm-hmm. So, let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 13, Detention with Dolores, and the corresponding film scenes. Umbridge's interior decorator appears to have just bought out the floral section of a craft store. Harry realizes he can officially cross hand model off of his list of future careers. Movie Hermione can't be bothered to care about the twins conducting experiments on young children. Ron makes the Quidditch team, and Angelina begins her master plan to mold him into a star keeper. And meanwhile, back on number four Privet Drive, Vernon Dursley is inexplicably struck by the desire to buy some of Umbridge's special quills. During episode 141, Dings for Days, our Potter pondering was... What are your thoughts on Hermione's woolly bladder hats to free the house elves? Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. How do I feel about Hermione leaving the little woolly hats for the Hogwarts house elves? Um, I just kind of believe she was doing the best she could with the information she has. With her being muggle-born, not really growing up in the wizarding world, she didn't understand that what she was doing could possibly be a bad thing. I honestly don't think you can even really free a house elf like that because how would they be able to do laundry around the, you know, their master's house or whatever? I think you have to actually be given it by your master. I don't think you just randomly picking it up and it's your size and now you free anyway. But that's just me thinking. And at the end of the day, she was blessing Dombey with the drip, you hear me? With the trip, Dobby was living his best life. He had the ensemble for days, okay? She wouldn't hurt nobody. Hey, Ellen. Hey, Katie. Jackson here with this week's Pot of Pondering. So, what do I think of Hermione's hats? Look, Hermione's heart's in the right place with SBEW. Absolutely it is, and I get where she's coming from. But she needs to understand that the way she's going about it is wrong. The majority of house elves do not want freedom. What they want is to be treated with respect and kindness. We see this in Creature, in Dobby. And yeah, Dobby does want to be free, but he's an exception, not the rule. But yeah, house elves mostly just want respect and kindness. So, you know, honestly, for Hermione to just assume they all want freedom and to try to trick them into freeing themselves it's a bit arrogant to be honest and I'm not saying it's a bad thing Hermione has her heart in the right place but the way she's going about it is a little arrogant and a little and I know this is redundant but a bit know-it-all-ish so you know she just needs to think about what she actually wants for these house elves and what they want. Hi, this is Jessica calling in. What are my thoughts on Hermione's hats for the house elves? Well, 
I think she's not thinking it through. I understand her intention behind it, that she only means to help them. But if she's leaving them around with garbage on top, hiding them, and they would accidentally pick them up, she's setting them free against their will, which also isn't freedom. But she's in the head of the school, so I don't know why she thinks it would set them free, because only Dumbledore could, unless it's her weird way of thinking that if they took the hats she made, that means they secretly want to be freed, and that's their message to her, letting her know to help them. I don't know. I think it's confusing, and I don't think she's thinking it through properly. And I think Ron, at least, was right for taking the trash off the top of them. But, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really make sense. Thanks. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, why does Filch try to confiscate Harry's letter? He received a tip-off that Harry is intending to place a massive order for dung bombs. Hmm. Congratulations goes to... Mike Riley! Woohoo! He cut off Megan's streak at five weeks in a row. Just barely. Yeah, it was like a minute. I guess he felt like she was getting too close for comfort. I wonder who's going to win this week. Oh, we shall see. For now, let's just keep rolling into the first half of Chapter 14. Percy and Padfoot and the kinda, sorta, not really corresponding film scenes. Chapter 14, Percy and Padfoot, Part 1 On Saturday, Harry is the first one awake in his dormitory and figures it to be just after daybreak. He gets up and dressed, grabs a quill and parchment from his school bag, and heads to the common room. Settling down in his favorite squashy armchair by the fireplace, he unrolls his parchment and looks around the room. The usual bits of clutter have all been cleared away, along with Hermione's elf hats, making him wonder how many elves have unwittingly been set free. He uncorks his ink bottle, dips his quill in it, and holds it over the parchment, finding a new appreciation for how difficult it must have been for Ron and Hermione to write him letters over the summer. He wants to tell Sirius about everything that happened over the past week, but has no idea how to do it discreetly. After sitting motionless for a while, he makes a decision, re-dips his quill, and writes, Dear Snuffles, hope you're okay. The first week back here's been terrible. I'm really glad it's the weekend. We've got a new defense against the dark arts teacher, Professor Umbridge. She's nearly as nice as your mum. I'm writing this because that thing I wrote you about last summer happened again last night when I was doing detention with Umbridge. We're all missing our biggest friend. We hope he'll be back soon. Please write back quickly. Best, Harry. He rereads it several times and decides that an outsider wouldn't know who he was talking to or what it was about. Despite being a short letter, it took him so long to write he can hear distant sounds of movements from the dormitories above. He seals the parchment and heads off for the Allery. On his way, Harry runs into nearly headless Nick, who warns him of a prank Peeves is planning to play, and suggests he takes a different route. Harry says bye and turns right instead of left, taking a longer but safer way to the Allery. He catches sight of a brilliant blue sky and feels a little better, thinking about Quidditch training later that day, but his thoughts are interrupted when something brushes against his leg. He looks down and sees Mrs. Norris slink past him. 
She stares at him before disappearing behind a statue of Wilfred the Wistful, and Harry calls after her that he isn't doing anything wrong. Harry makes it to the Allery and looks around for Hedwig, finding her near the top of the vaulted ceiling. He calls for her to send his letter, explaining that it's for Sirius, and she blinks in understanding. He wishes her a safe flight as he carries her to a window and watches as she flies off and vanishes in the distance, before his gaze switches to Hagrid's hut. The treetops of the Forbidden Forest sway in a light breeze, and Harry is watching them as a great reptilian-winged horse rises out of them, soars in a circle, and plunges back down. His heart begins hammering madly, and he's startled when the Allery door opens behind him. He turns quickly and finds Cho Chang holding a letter and a parcel in her hands. Harry says hi, and Cho responds, surprised that someone is up there so early. She tells him that she only just remembered that it's her mom's birthday and holds up the parcel. Harry says right, and wants to say something else funny and interesting, but feels like his brain has jammed and ultimately ends up commenting on the weather. However, Cho agrees, calling it good Quidditch conditions, mentioning that she hasn't been out all week and asking if Harry has. He tells her no, and she asks if Gryffindor found a replacement keeper yet. Harry says that it's his friend Ron Weasley and asks if she knows him. Cho coolly calls Ron the tornado hater and asks if he's any good. Harry says he thinks so, but explains that he didn't get to see his tryout since he was in detention. Cho looks up from attaching the parcel to an owl's leg and lowers her voice to call that Umbridge woman foul for putting him in detention just because he told the truth about how Cedric died. She mentions how everyone had heard about it and says that he was really brave to stand up to her like that. Harry's worries about the winged horse slip away as he feels pride over Cho's words, and he considers accidentally on purpose showing her his cut. But before he can, the Owlery door opens again and Filch comes into the room, wheezing from his run there. He moves towards Harry, claiming he had a tip-off that he's intending to place a massive order for dung bombs. Harry crosses his arm and asks him who told him that, while Cho looks back and forth from Harry to Filch. The caretaker claims to have his sources and demands that Harry hands over whatever it is he's sending. Harry informs him that it's already gone, but Filch doesn't believe him and thinks it might still be in his pocket. Before Harry can really say anything, Cho angrily speaks up to tell Filch that she saw him send it. They glare at each other for a moment before Filch gives up and tells Harry he better not get so much as a whiff of a dung bomb before heading back out the door and down the steps. Harry thanks Cho, who says it was no problem, and asks if he was actually ordering dung bombs. He says he wasn't, and she wonders why Filch would think he was. Harry shrugs, not that concerned at the moment, and after Cho sends her owl out the window, the two leave the owlery together and walk back towards the castle. When they have to part ways, she tells Harry she'll see him around and smiles before walking away. Harry continues walking as well, feeling elated over their conversation and that she had called him brave, glad she didn't hate him for being alive. He knew she preferred Cedric, but also wondered if things might have been different if he had asked her to the ball first, since she had seemed sincerely sorry she had to refuse. He makes his way into the Great Hall and finds Ron and Hermione. When he brightly says morning to them, Ron wonders what he's so pleased about, and Harry happily just mentions Quidditch later. 
Ron says yeah and asks if they can go down early to give him some extra practice before training. Harry agrees, but Hermione doesn't think they should since they're both really far behind on homework. She cuts herself off when the mail arrives and she receives the Daily Prophet. As she scans the front page, Ron attempts to distract her from the topic of homework by asking if there's anything interesting. There's nothing on the front aside from information about the bass player and the Weird Sisters getting married, but when she opens the paper and begins reading, she suddenly says, Oh no, serious! Harry tries to snatch the paper from her and ends up tearing it down the middle, and Hermione reports that the Ministry of Magic has received a tip-off from a reliable source that Sirius Black, notorious mass murderer, is currently hiding in London. Harry is positive that it's because Lucius Malfoy recognized him on the platform, which shocks Ron, who never realized he had. Hermione finishes reading and says he won't be able to leave the house again, mentioning how Dumbledore did warn him not to. Harry looks glumly down at the half of the paper he's holding and sees another concerning report about the arrest and conviction of Sturgis Podmore, who attempted to force his way through a top security door at 1 o'clock in the morning. He's been sentenced to six months in Azkaban, which Harry is shocked at since he was just trying to get through a door. But Hermione explains that it wasn't just that, and wonders what he was doing at the ministry at 1 a.m. Ron thinks he may have been doing something for the Order, but Harry remembers how Sturgis was supposed to see them off, and doesn't think he was actually on the job for them. Ron theorizes that it could have been a frame-up, that the Ministry suspected he's one of Dumbledore's lots and lured him to the Ministry, but he wasn't trying to get through a door at all and they just made something up to get him. Harry thinks this seems far-fetched, but Hermione looks impressed and states that she wouldn't be surprised if that were true. She folds up her half of the paper and suggests they tackle the essay for Sprout first about self-fertilizing shrubs, then to move on to McGonagall's inanimatus conjurus before lunch. Harry feels slightly guilty as he and Ron instead head out to the Quidditch pitch, but Ron insists that they can do the work that night and tomorrow. He thinks Hermione gets too worked up about work, but then he pauses and anxiously asks if Harry thinks she meant it when she said they weren't copying from her. Harry says he does, but also points out that Quidditch is important too and they need to practice if they want to stay on the team. Ron agrees and Harry glances towards the Forbidden Forest, briefly remembering about the skeletal horse that flew out from the trees earlier before pushing it out of his mind. He and Ron collect the Quidditch balls from the changing room and they practice for a couple of hours before returning to the school for lunch, where Hermione makes it very clear that she thinks they're being irresponsible. After lunch, they return to the Quidditch pitch for the real training session and find the rest of their team already in the changing room. Fred and George give Ron a bit of a hard time before Angelina speaks up to give directions and inform them that there are a couple of people out there watching, but she wants them to just ignore them. Harry has a good idea who the uninvited spectators are, and sure enough, when they leave the changing room, it's to a storm of catcalls and jeers from the Slytherin Quidditch team. They all dutifully ignore the comments about Ron's broom, Angelina's hair, and Harry's scar and start practicing. Ron's nerves have him dropping the ball, missing it, and at one point, after actually catching it, throwing it so hard it hits Katie in the face and gives her a nosebleed. Fred gives her something small and purple, saying it'll clear it up in no time, and Angelina sends them all to their proper posts. 
The twins go to get their bats in a bludger, and Harry follows after them for the snitch. George makes a comment about Ron making a right pig's ear of things, and Harry defends his friend, saying that he's just nervous and was fine when they practiced earlier. They return to the air and attempt to keep practicing, but Ron keeps missing goals, and Katie's nosebleed seems to be getting worse. Fred anxiously checks his pocket and looks horrified when he pulls out something purple and examines it. They attempt to keep playing, all while the Slytherins are chanting, Gryffindor losers, but end up needing to stop again after a few minutes. Katie's face has gone chalk white and she's covered in blood. Angelina says that she needs the hospital wing and Fred offers for him and George to take her since she may have swallowed a blood blister pod by mistake. Angelina cancels the rest of practice and they all head back to the changing room while the Slytherins keep chanting. The movie section starts out on a transition shot of Hedwig flying over Hogwarts grounds with Harry composing a letter to his godfather in voiceover. He addresses it to Padfoot and tells him how it's getting colder and winter is definitely on the way. As the camera follows Hedwig, she flies towards Hagrid's cabin and a figure can be seen following the path towards it. As Harry's voice continues to describe how he feels more alone than ever, despite being back at Hogwarts, and knowing that he will understand, the camera cuts to him approaching the stone house. An animal sound in the distance causes Harry to look up, and he sees a large creature flying through the sky swoop down towards the forest. The scene changes to show Harry walking through the trees, where he sees several of the strange skeletal horse creatures that he first saw pulling the carriages. He also finds a barefoot Luna Lovegood who is petting one of the creatures, and at first doesn't even turn to look at him as she greets him with a, Hello, Harry Potter. She turns towards him as she looks down at her feet and asks if they are cold. She looks down and responds with, A bit, telling him that unfortunately all of her shoes have mysteriously disappeared, and she suspects Nargles are behind it. Unsure of how to respond, Harry just turns his attention to the winged skeletal horse in front of him and asks what they are. Luna informs him that they are called Thestrals, and are really quite gentle. She explains that people avoid them, and Harry concludes her thought that it is because they are a bit different. They both watch as an adult and baby Thestral begin to walk towards them, and as they also go to approach the creatures, Harry asks her why the others can't see them. Luna explains that they can only be seen by people who have seen death, and Harry realizes that she knows someone who has died. Luna nods and tells him that it was her mom who was an extraordinary witch who liked to experiment, and one day one of her spells went wrong. Luna says that she was nine at the time, and Harry tells her that he is sorry. She goes on to say that it was rather horrible, and she does feel very sad about it sometimes, but she's got Dad. They approach the baby Thestral, and as she reaches into her bag to pull out an apple, she informs Harry that they both believe him. Her eyes go very wide as she lists what they believe that he who must not be named is back, and he fought him, and the Ministry and the Daily Prophet are conspiring against him and Dumbledore. Harry thanks her and says that he thinks that they are about the only ones who do, but Luna disagrees and tosses the apple to the baby Thestral, that doesn't seem to want anything to do with the fruit. Luna adds that she supposes that's how he wants him to feel, and Harry asks what she means. She explains that if she were you-know-who, she'd want him to feel cut off from everyone, because if it's just him alone, he's not as much of a threat. She smiles at him, and a comforted Harry slightly smiles back as she pulls some raw meat out of her bag and tosses it to the baby Thestral. 
They watch as the Festral gobbles up the meat and share another smile. What amazes me about these two sections here is even though it isn't remotely the same thing happening, there are actually similarities. There are. It's it's very odd. I mean, it's not significant ones, but no. I found things to compare. Because you have those skills. Because I spend too much time looking into this stuff. What? You never. But anyway, the book section starts out with Harry waking up nice and bright and early because he's going to write that letter to Sirius, even though Hermione pointed out it probably wasn't the best idea. Mm -hmm. Like she does. Right? <laughs> but he gets his quill and parchment and ink out of his school bag and sneaks down to the common room so that he can compose this letter. Because he's got to do it still in the proper way. He can't give anything away. Yeah. Got to be sneaky. Because that was Hermione's whole point. What if somebody intercepts it? Well, then I have to write it so in case somebody intercepts it, they won't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So he gets to his favorite chair by the fire, which isn't lit right now, but it's still by the fire. Mm -hmm. Rolls out the parchment. Kind of like, fuck, I don't know what to write. And just looks around the room. And he notices that the whole place has been cleaned, there's no clutter around, and there are none of Hermione's elf hats around. So he's like, hmm, I wonder how many elves were set free without... Without their knowledge or consent. Exactly. But he then, you know, dips the quill in the ink, holds it over the parchment, and he's ready to start writing, and he still has no idea what to do. It's giving him a new appreciation for how difficult it must have been for his best friends to write him over the summer. So schmumbleschmore. Right. Is... <laughs> but I'm sure that the lack of information that he received now makes more sense. Yeah. It's got to be like, oh, this is a little difficult, isn't it? Yeah. So he just sits there for a while. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it's just like, okay, got to write something. Dips his quill again. And he writes, Dear Snuffles. Hope you're okay. The first week back here's been terrible. I'm really glad it's the weekend. We've got a new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, Professor Umbridge. She's nearly as nice as your mum. I'm writing because that thing I wrote you about last summer happened again last night when I was doing detention with Umbridge. We're all missing our biggest friend. We hope he'll be back soon. Please write back quickly. Best, Harry. I mean, all things considered, that's actually not bad as far as code goes. It's really not bad as far as code goes, although if Umbridge had managed to get her hands on this and read she's nearly as nice as your mum, mm -hmm. she's just going to think Harry's writing to somebody that had a mum he didn't like. Yeah. You know, like, true. super good code there, Harry, but right. also it's kind of hilarious. It's good code depending on who intercepts, I guess. <laughs> There's nothing proven there. No. But I, I don't think that Umbridge wouldn't realize that Harry thinks she's a Pepto bitch mall. There's that. Should have just wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I do think that he wrote it well enough that some outsider's going to read it and there's no proof there. Like they can't use it for anything. They'll just get general gists and make some guesses and they're not going to really know anything. So it's safe enough. Mm-hmm. And Harry reads it a few more times and decides that himself. So he heads off to the Owlery with the intention of sending it off before Hermione wakes up and can tell him not to, is my guess. Yeah. Before he chickens out, sure. <laughs> so the movie kind of corresponds with this. 
like a little bit. It definitely ties into it since it starts out with Hedwig flying over the ground because apparently she's the only owl at Hogwarts. You would think that there would be a lot more owls flying around considering it's like an option for a pet. And they have an owlery? Yeah, and it's only ever just Hedwig. Like that's the only owl you it's ever- It's Hedwig's mansion. I don't know. That was something random that I noticed. Anyway, we then hear the voiceover of Harry writing a letter to his dog father. He refers to him as Padfoot. Instead of Snuffles, like the book. Mm-hmm, yeah. But there was a letter. But there was a letter, so ding on that. <laughs> he tells him how it's getting colder, which, are we really talking about the weather here, my guy? Like, seriously. Dude, you're in Scotland. Like, it's always cold there, no? Well, here's what's kind of funny about this. In the book... Harry totally makes a comment about the weather also. (laughs) So kind of a ding here. We'll we'll talk about it when we get there. Sure. I'm telling you, very small similarities, but they exist. (laughs) We're here to nitpick people, not make generalizations. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, moving on. So we continue the Hedwig aerial tour of Hogwarts as she flies over Hagrid's hut Harry continues his letter talking about how alone he is despite being surrounded by people because, you know, the involuntary shut-in Sirius will definitely understand. Harry suggests possibly starting an emo band, but other than that, that's it. That's the letter. Nothing else. <laughs> if we're to go by the voiceover, he didn't even sign it for fuck's sake. Like, nothing. And that is a difference because the whole purpose of the letter was to tell him about his scar hurting, which did not happen in the movie. Right? So... He didn't mention a goddamn thing. Like, there was nothing of even coded significance. Unless that's a really fucking strong code. I don't know. Maybe Potter's code game's on. Who knows? Maybe. It's getting colder here. It means that there's an evil despotic bitch running our Defense Against Dark Arts class now. And we just don't realize. Katie's breaking the code. I'm cracking the code, man. Just call me Bill Weasley, motherfucker. (laughs) I'm over here being a curse breaker like a motherfucker. Maybe the fact that he didn't sign it is that he feels like his life is in danger, and I don't know, we're moving on. Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) But maybe there's no signature because he got distracted, because while he was hanging out around Hagrid's hut looking for some sign of life, and by the way, this is the only real sign that he's worried that Hagrid is not there this entire movie, he sees some winged creature flying in the sky in the distance, along with a really uncomfortable screech as well. So naturally, when Harry sees it swoop down into the forest, he's like, hey, I'm gonna go follow that thing, because I'm Harry Potter and it's a thing that I do. He meddles. Yeah, it's a thing. But yeah, like you said, the fact that they have him walking towards Hagrid's cabin is the closest the movie has gotten so far to showing Harry's concern over the missing Hagrid, though it is also different from the book, which focuses on Harry's walk to the Owlery, not Hagrid's cabin. Because, you know, that's where owls usually are. I mean, there could be owls in Hagrid's cabin. I feel like he's friends with the owls. Sure. But then some of the other obvious differences are that the movie never uses the nickname Snuffles for Sirius, like I pointed out when you said Padfoot. Mm-hmm. Which it never got introduced in the first place because we didn't get to see him in Goblet of Fire. But, you know. Yeah. New all. Right? Yeah. So it's on Harry's walk to the Owlery. As he heads that way, he runs into nearly headless Nick, who says, I wouldn't go that way if I were you. And basically lets him know that Peeves. 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 Not Ed Sheeran. Oh, Peeves. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Peeves. The poltergeist Mm -hmm. is 
putting together a joke, an amusing joke, except I imagine that Nearly Headless Nick says that with all of the sarcasm in the world. Nearly Headless Nick is quite good at deadpanning. So. <laughs> <laughs> I see go. what you did, did there. That for you. you see what I did there? Ah. <laughs> but anyway, Harry is smart enough to listen to Nearly Headless Nick, and he says bye to him and turns right instead of left. Good call. Made for a slightly longer walk, but at least it was peeves free. Mm-hmm. His mood picks up a little bit when he passes a window and sees that it's just the most perfect blue sky, sunny day, pleasant weather, and he knows he gets to play Quidditch later. Mm-hmm. But then this is unfortunately interrupted because he can't have nice things by the arrival of Mrs. Norris, who's snooping around with the air of going to report something to her master. When she starts to walk away from him, Harry yells after her that he's not doing anything wrong. Hey, cat, I didn't do anything. Don't go telling Mr. <laughs> Filch nothing. I didn't do anything. That'll work. It doesn't, as we're about to see. But before anything bad does happen from it, he makes it all the way to the Owlery. And he looks around to find Hedwig and calls her down. I got a letter for you. And as he's tying it to her leg, he explains to her that I know the letter says snuffles, but it's for serious, okay? And I just love the owl's like, okay. Right. It's just such a cute little picture in my head. I mean, in my head, though, Hedwig is much more of a snarky bitch like me. And she's just like, yeah, no shit, guy. <laughs> I think she definitely has her snarky bitch moments. But sometimes when she's in a good mood, like she just got herself a little field mouse or something. She's just shaking her tail feathers and nipping Harry's finger lovingly. And I don't know. We all got moods. I'm sure that she does that occasionally. But in my head, in this moment, she's just like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Anyway, he gets a letter tied to her leg, carries her to a window and says, safe flight. As she takes off and he just watches her fly off in the distance until she disappears and this causes him to glance down at Hagrid's empty hut. Which does kind of tie into the fact that Harry is making his way to Hagrid's hut, but not really a ding. Not quite, no. Not. No, not at all, actually. I don't know why I said anything. <laughs> Move on. Moving on. I told you, little things. They're very little yes. things. <laughs> it's the details that make it, really. Yeah. But so... The trees of the Forbidden Forest behind Hagrid's hut are just swaying in a very light breeze. And Harry's watching as a giant reptilian winged horse flies up from the trees, soars in a circle, and goes back down. This makes his heart start pounding because he's thinking about the creatures that he saw pulling the carriages that had always pulled themselves before and he probably had enough go on during that week to mostly forget it. And now it's being brought back to the forefront. And what is that weird thing? Why could I see it? No one else could. Yeah. Heart pounding. Oh, yeah. Macy and Horsey Birds. I remember those guys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But before he can actually spiral too much into that, he just gets interrupted by the sound of the owlery door opening, which startles him because who the fuck else is going to be up this early? That was the whole point. Mm hmm. This basically happens in the movie, except, as we already mentioned, Harry is not in the Ellery. An animal sound in the distance causes Harry to look up while he's at Hagrid's hut, and he sees a large creature flying through the sky swoop down towards the forest. After that, not a damn thing that happens in this movie section happened in the book, so... 
we're out of ding. Well, it sort of happens, but not at all in the same way and much later on. Mm -hmm. So we'll get to that. But the movie does cut out another interaction that Harry has with Cho, Mm -hmm. who is, in fact, the door opener to the Allery. Yeah. And Harry is finally getting this moment to talk to his crush without Neville or Ron there to mess it up for him. Well, it's about damn time. So naturally, he immediately panics. Sure, like you do. And manages to say hi, Mm -hmm. which Cho says hi back. But she comments how she's surprised that someone's there so early that she just remembered it was her mom's birthday and has a package to send to her. And Harry, in all of his brilliance, just goes, right. (laughs) So smooth. Yeah. And when he tries to think of something else funny and interesting to say, he just says, it's a nice day out there, isn't it? Again, the slickness. Yeah, but that's the comment I told you about where Harry mentions the weather, just like in his letter to Sirius in the movie. That's your comparison? I told you it's really, really, really thin here. Wow. I mean, I'm not saying it's a full ding. It's just... That's not even the letter D. Weather and weather. They mentioned weather in both. What's really nice about this for Harry is that where he is incredibly awkward, Cho actually seems to be quite good at this. And when Harry just doofily says, nice weather, (laughs) Cho says, yeah, I'm so excited it's perfect for Quidditch later. And then she even carries on the conversation further to ask if he's gotten to play at all during the week. And when Harry just goes, no, still not having anything else to say. (laughs) He just, Mm -hmm. right. Nice weather. Let the awkward continue. Yep. Cool. Like, I don't, he's just not doing great with the conversations. <laughs> but Cho kind of keeps it going and asks oh. if they found a Gryffindor keeper yet. And mm-hmm. Harry goes, it's my friend Ron Weasley. Do you know him? Just not doing any better yet. Yeah. And Cho does know him because he gave her a tough time about being a tornado fan. And she recalls. She just says, oh, You mean the tornado hater? (laughs) A little awkward for a moment, but because she's still good at the conversationing, she says, is any good? Just keeping it going. Get away from the awkwardness that popped up. She's really carrying this for Harry. Mm -hmm. But Harry says that he thinks Ron's pretty good, but he didn't actually get to see his tryout because he was stuck in the detention with Pepto Bitch Mall. Mm -hmm. And then just to make Harry internally go, (laughs) cho-ching. Cho looks up from what she's doing, trying to attach this parcel to the owl's leg, lowers her voice, makes it a little more intimate. And she's about to say something she doesn't want overheard, too. Uh-huh. But she calls that Pepto Bitch Mall bitch. I'm doubling it on that one. I hear this. Double bitch on that one. She calls her a bitch for putting him in detention just because he told the truth about how Cedric died. That was unexpected. Kind of. I don't think Harry expected it, that's for sure. Came out of nowhere for him, I think. And then, of course, bringing up Cedric can get a little bit awkward, but Cho just keeps it going, and she says that everybody in school knows what Harry did, and she thinks he's really brave for standing up to that bitch. And Harry's just like, well, you know, <laughs> Gryffindor, so. Pretty much. Saying. Oh my goodness. And he literally, from these words, he just, like, swells with pride and mm-hmm. actually starts plotting up, like, helping her 
with her package so that he, oops, look at the scars on my hand. (laughs) And get maybe some more compliments about not only how brave he is, but how strong he is and how tough he is and just how manly he is. When really what he really needs to do is grab an owl to hide his awkward boner going on. (laughs) You know that that poor owl. I'm I'm not talking about like, (laughs) ew, Ellen. I just mean like, you know, hold it in front of him or like stand. I don't know. It's still pretty awkward for the owl. Well, it's an awkward boner. It's awkward for everyone, Ellen. I think inanimate objects are best. What an awkward boner is. (laughs) This is awkward. So let's just keep rolling. Like I was saying, swells with pride. Any care in the world, just gone. As he plots out Mm -hmm. showing her his hands and. You don't really need something to hide your awkward boner when the boner killer enters. Oh, he is definitely a boner killer. The owlery door opens and Filch just comes barreling in the room, like basically huffing and puffing. Like right now, Filch is cosplaying the big bad wolf. Right. But this is mostly because he ran all the way there, which this makes me picture David Bradley Mm -hmm. running to bring the announcement up to Dumbledore. (laughs) With the knees to elbows. Yes, that he did. Yeah. but up the Allery stairs. Yeah. I need this in my life, yeah. and it doesn't exist. Right? That's just not cool. Not cool at all. No. So Filch confronts Harry, just like right up to him, telling him that he heard he was intending to place a massive order for dung bombs. Which was our trivia question. That it was. Mm-hmm. And Harry's like, who the fuck told you that? Not really phased why. Yeah. Wondering who. I mean, at least he asked a question, I guess. Cho is just, like, watching Harry to Filch. Harry, like, she's watching a ping pong game. Yeah. She's like, ooh, he's so manly. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, He's so creepy. (laughs) Ping pong game. Back and forth. But anyway, Filch says he has his sources and just demands that Harry hands over whatever he was going to be sending. Uh, Too late, Jacko. Which exactly what harry says to him word for word i couldn't even believe they printed that in the book right it's like i wrote it i mean (laughs) (laughs) but filch thinks he's a liar liar pants on fire had a wife and couldn't keep her got it and insists that it might still be in his pocket wanting him to turn his pockets out and harry starts to argue but doesn't get very far when cho just it's already gone i saw it he ain't lying to you go away I watched that shit fly away, man. Fly away home. I saw it. Which she didn't, but I love that she stands up for him. It's a good moment for her. Yeah. And it works because he leaves. Mm-hmm. Telling Harry he better not even the slightest whiff of a dung bomb. Sucks for Harry because somebody else is going to have dung bombs and it's going to get blamed on him. Right? I mean, what doesn't get blamed on Harry, though? But what isn't often not his fault? Yeah. I know that was a few negatives. But it makes sense if you really think about it. Does it, though? I don't even know what I said anymore, so maybe not. (laughs) But anyway, Harry, just heart swelling. He's been called brave. She just saved him from filch. And he says, thank you. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, Cho says, no problem, because that's what you say. Yeah. But then she asks, because she didn't actually see him send it, has no idea. She's like, so were you really ordering dung bongs? Right. And I love that. Like, she didn't even care that he may have actually been ordering dung bongs. She was going to stand up for him. Right. She's pretty cool in this moment. Mm-hmm. She gets a 
little bit of respect from me. Not much. Mm -hmm. Not much. I still have issues, and I'm going to have more later on, but she gets a little attaboy from me, I will say. Yeah, attaboy. girl. girl. yeah. Harry says he wasn't, which she's asking the right questions. Why would Filch think you were? Mm-hmm. Because that should tell you something, Harry. If you were Hermione, you would know exactly what this meant. Yeah. But as we've discussed, Harry is not Hermione. No. <laughs> not Hermione, not a Ravenclaw. And he just shrugs, not concerned. Oh. He waits while Cho sends her owl, and then they leave together and walk back towards the castle. And Harry's just like, Cho Chang! <laughs> Awkward boner. Awkward that? boner the whole time. <laughs> but when they get to where they're going to part ways, because Harry's heading to the Great Hall and she's going back up to her dormitories, she smiles and says she'll see him around. And Harry just, Cho Chang! <laughs> may have accidentally said it out loud that time what was that nothing 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 at all i'm positive that he smiles back probably kind of goofily mm -hmm. maybe just maybe pumpkin juice fell out of his mouth and he doesn't even know how it got there <laughs> random pumpkin juice exactly regardless though the exchange put him in such a good mood that when he walks into the great hall and finds ron and hermione He's actually having this internal monologue about how he's really glad that she doesn't hate him because he survived, basically. Mm -hmm. And he's thinking like, oh, I mean, I know she preferred Cedric, but maybe if I had asked her sooner, she would have actually gone with me and things would have been different. She seemed disappointed and he's in such a good mood that he's just immediately putting a more positive spin on any little concern that he has, which is probably a trait that he could really use a good developing in. But yeah. everything seems very positive for him. And when he makes his way to Ron and Hermione, he just brightly says, Morning! <laughs> Morning, bitches! Good day, isn't it? Exactly. And it makes Ron realize that Harry's in a good mood. He's mm -hmm. like, what are you so pleased about? Ron picks up on an emotion, Katie. What? And Harry thinks fast and just goes, Quidditch later. <laughs> Which now Ron's back to being the more normal Ron. And he was like, oh yeah, Quidditch later. And he's like bouncing around happy. <laughs> Good save, Harry. Good save. Yeah. But then he also asks Harry if they can go down early to give him some extra practice before training. I think Ron just really wants his best friend to see him play Quidditch yeah. before their practice because he didn't get to see him in tryouts. So yeah. he just wanted that affirmation from his best friend. Hermione thinks this is a terrible idea. Who's shocked there? Of course she does. But she reminds them, you guys are really far behind on your homework. Yeah, and we're also really far behind on our Quidditch. What? Right? She actually doesn't get any further into this because the mail arrives and she has the Daily Prophet to read and scoff about. Sure. And so she starts scanning the front page and Ron takes this as an opportunity to like veer as far away from homework as he possibly can. Is there anything interesting on there? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what you mm -hmm. got there, Hermione? Anything not about homework? <laughs> Hermione says that there's nothing on the front aside from a report that the bass player in the Weird Sisters is getting married. But then she opens it. And begins reading and says, oh, no, serious. Oh, no, serious. Oh, shit, snuffles. It sounds serious. <laughs> and Harry completely panics. 
because that's all she gave him and tries to grab the paper from her and the two just end up tug of warring it in half. Oh, God. But unfortunately, the story about Sirius is on Hermione's half, so he still has to wait for her to read it. Right. Way to go. And she does, reporting that the Ministry of Magic received a tip-off from a reliable source that Sirius Black, notorious mass murderer, is currently hiding in London. <gasps> dun, dun, dun! Which I bet you anything that the reliable source mm -hmm. is the exact same person that Harry thinks it is. Yeah. Because Harry's just like, Damn it, Nazi von Douchebag the first recognized him on the platform. And Ron's like, wait, what? Ron was just completely oblivious when Harry and Hermione had that little glance exchange. What? On the train. Ron? Oblivious? No. Eating a chocolate frog or something, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Hermione finishes reading and makes just the most Hermione comments. This blend of... Oh, no, I'm really concerned. Told you so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Where she says that he just won't be able to leave the house again. Dumbledore did warn him not to. Not helpful right now, Hermione. Right? Like, not at all. And this totally bums out Harry, who just had his balloon inflated. And now it's like, <laughs> and he just glances down at the half of the paper that he tore away and sees a second concerning report. This one is about... The arrest and conviction of Sturgis Podmore, hmm. who attempted to force his way through a top security door at the ministry at one o'clock in the morning. That's not sus at all. What are they talking about? It got him sentenced to six months in Azkaban. Jeez. And Harry's like, six months for trying to get through a door? <laughs> Hermione's Harry, use your brain. Mm -hmm. This is not about trying to get through a door. Yeah. That's not what this is. That's not what's going on here, sweetheart. She also points out that it's very strange that he was at the ministry at one in the morning. Mm -hmm. Which makes Ron think that maybe he was doing something for the order. And that's a pretty reasonable thought. Yeah, it actually makes sense. Yeah. But Harry remembers that Sturgis Podmore was the guy that Moody was pissed about not showing up. Yeah. When they were heading to King's Cross Station. Mm hmm. So he doesn't think it sounds like he was supposed to be on a job. If he was supposed to be there in the morning to get him to the station, doesn't seem like they'd put him on an overnight one if he has a morning one. Right. It doesn't make much sense that way. Yeah. Which that's pretty insightful detective work. Right. And Ron has yet another moment where he suggests that it could be a frame up like the ministry lured him there. Mm -hmm. suspecting he was one of Dumbledore's and they just basically set him up yeah. to be at the ministry at the proper time to have the police come bust him. Sounds like a sting operation, my friends. Harry thinks this might be a bit much. Ron's going a little too extra on this one. <clears throat> but Hermione, queen of extra, is just impressed. <laughs> and she actually thinks that that could be true. Yeah. I mean, we're living in crazy times, so crazy shit's gonna happen. Crazy shit's gonna happen. Yeah. And... She folds up her half of the paper and says, all right, it's homework time. And Harry and Ron are like, no, <laughs> it's Quidditch time. <laughs> and she threatens them by saying that she's not going to do the homework for them. She's not going to let them copy if they don't stay for homework and go play Quidditch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the two are feeling kind of guilty. A little concerned that Hermione might not let them copy. 
But in the end, they decide that they got time to do homework that night and the next day. And Quidditch is important, too. Mm-hmm. They got to practice to stay on the team. Yeah. Staying physically fit is important, too, Hermione. Right. Anyway, they're walking down towards the Quidditch pitch, and Harry glances towards the Forbidden Forest, briefly like, oh yeah, that weird emaciated horsey bird. What is that thing? And then he pushes it from his mind again, because he actually gets to go play Quidditch, and I'm sure it's been a while. Yeah. After a couple of hours, they go back to the castle for lunch, and another, not I told you so from Hermione, but uh, you're being very irresponsible from Hermione. It's in the same vein. Yeah. And then after lunch, they go back to the Quidditch pitch. So, you know, you're being irresponsible. But this is their real training session, so they obviously have to be there. Yeah, this isn't like they just want to go fuck off and have some fun. Like, they have to be there for this Yeah, one. this is a responsibility. Yeah. But everybody is already there when they get in the changing room and Fred and George be Fred and George and give their little brother a hard time. Sure, like they do. Angelina steps into all of her wood shoes and gives them the first pre-practice speech. Oliver Wood. So I said Oliver Wood. Oliver Wood. That's what I said. Damn it, Ellen. <laughs> anyway, she ends her speech by letting them know that they have some witnesses, but they gotta just ignore them. Mm-hmm. And based on her tone, Harry's just like, fuck. Yeah, Harry knows what. Yep. And sure enough, there they are. They get outside and there is the entire Slytherin Quidditch team just waiting to watch the shit show that is about to commence. Yep, hooting and hollering and whatnot. And just, yeah. Yeah. Everybody actually does a really good job ignoring them at first. Mm -hmm. They're making comments about Ron's broom and Angelina's hair, which is just really fucking racist Slytherins. That's not cool. Yeah, that's messed up. I'm not okay with them just calling out everyone else's bullshit too because that's just stupid but angelina come on not okay but then back to the more you know normal ones harry scar gotta make fun of that yeah it's an oldie but a goodie yeah and then they start practicing and at first they're just like in a circle passing the ball just kind of warming up i imagine mm -hmm. and ron is so nervous that he is really just dropping the ball yeah <laughs> quite literally literally and figuratively yes Every time it comes towards him, he tends to miss it. And there is one time where he catches it and he's so excited that when he throws it at Katie, he overdoes it and just smacks her right in the face and gives her a nosebleed. Katie, you kind of put your face in the way of the ball. So that's kind of on you. I'm just saying. I mean, she caught it just with her face. Yeah. Yeah. She is just gushing blood. And Fred, Dr. Fred, gives her mm -hmm. something small and purple saying this will clear it up in no time. And Angelina's just like, okay, we've had enough of this. Let's just play a game. Yeah. Let's just go to our posts, do what we're supposed to do. And she sends the twins to go get their bats and a bludger and tells Harry to go with them and get the snitch and to release it when she says. Which gives George a moment to just be like, why is Ron sucking so much? Uh-huh. And Harry's like, just nervous, dude. He was fine before. Yeah. And he's like, hope he didn't peak too soon. <laughs> oh, George, come on. You know how they have to be, those brothers. Yep. But they fly back up in the air and they get in position and get to keep watching Ron miss more goals and 
Katie's nose just keep on bleeding. It hasn't stopped yet, which is making Fred kind of anxious because he's like, this should have worked. And maybe this is exactly why you shouldn't be testing your products on first years. Right. But he pulls something else purple out of his pocket and looks absolutely horrified because Fred knows he done fucked up. Yeah. And they try to keep playing. Katie's nose is just gushing. The Slytherins are chanting, Gryffindors are losers. Gryffindors are losers. Come on, my guys. Come up with something better. Just saying. Be better. That's pretty much it because they have to stop again when they realize that Katie is about to faint and her face is completely white and she's just covered in blood. And Angelina finally says, Okay, she needs the hospital wing. I, I guess the game can't go on. And Fred's like, Yeah, we'll take her. Yeah, George. We got this, uh, uh, may have accidentally given her a blood blister pod. Ew. That's gonna make you bleed a lot. Not, not cure a bloody nose. The, yeah. the, the nosebleed nugget other half. That would, that's what I thought I meant to give her. Yeah, I, uh, no, this was the, this was, this was bad. This is about we're gonna take her, we're gonna take her to the hospital wing. I may or may not have fucked up, guys. Yeah. And Angelina's just like, well, can't practice when we're missing almost half the team, so... Let's go. Yeah. Gryffindors are losers. Gryffindors are losers. And scene. And absolutely none of that happened in the movie. Though there is a movie scene that fits in here. We then see Harry walking through the forest where he sees a number of emaciated horsey birds just like the ones he saw pulling the carriages when he got to Hogwarts. Also amongst the horsey birds is a barefoot Luna Lovegood because sure, why not? Why not? Seems like a Luna thing to do, I guess. It is. She's petting the creatures with her back to him, and without even looking around, she greets him, and she's like, Hello, Harry Potter. Very creepy. It was a little bit creepy. Very creepy, but kind of just... Endearing. Can you be creepy and adorable at the same time? Is that a thing? Because I think that's Luna. A creepable? No. Creep- Creep-dorable? A deepable? No. Anyway... Point is, that's what Luna is. I don't know the word for it, but that's what Luna is. She finally looks at him and he asks her if her feet are cold while motioning towards the ground. And she responds with, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. But, I mean, it would appear the bitches have taken my shoes. And by bitches, I, of course, mean Nargles. I suspect it was Nargles. Yeah, I suspect Nargles are behind it. A completely understandable thing to say. Mm-hmm. And now completely desperate to change the subject, Harry motions towards the emaciated horsey birds and asks what the fuck they are. Hey, nobody else will tell me, so... Well, nobody else can apparently see them. (laughs) Right? Nobody else knows. But Luna tells him that they are Thestrals, and while they look creepy as fuck, they're actually chill as hell. She says that people avoid them because, well, you know... To which Harry responds with the obvious continuation of that sentence, that they're different. Just like those two. Mm-hmm. They look on in silence as a mama Thestral and a baby Thestral begin to walk towards them. Harry takes this moment to ask why everyone else can't see them and he can. The right time to ask that question, I think. Yeah, it's pretty fitting. Yeah. Luna tells Harry that they can only be seen by people who have seen death, and Harry realizes that this conversation just took a really fucked up turn. So he figures, in for a penny, in for a pound, let's just continue on this morbid roller coaster, and confirms that she has in fact known someone who died. And Luna says, yeah, her mom was a bit of a mad scientist, but like the witch version of a mad scientist, 
And one day it just kind of went pear-shaped, and the next thing she knew, her mom was unalive. Yep, sums it up. She tells Harry that she was nine when it happened, and he offers his condolences, because what else are you going to say? And she goes on to say that, yeah, it sucks, but at least she's got her dad. Which is just a super Luna way to look at things. Yeah, it really is. It's just, I love that. And most of this information we do actually learn in the book, but it's definitely set up differently as the book has Hagrid teach a lesson about the Thestrals in chapter 21. And that's where Harry actually learns about what they are, not from Luna. Mm -hmm. So that's not how it happened in the book. Yeah. He also doesn't actually learn about what happened to her mother until chapter 38. So we'll revisit both of these when we reach that point in the book. Yeah, but they go up to the baby Thestral and Luna reaches into her bag and pulls out an apple while she tells Harry that her and her dad both believe him about the murder munchers and Lord Voldyface coming back and all that shit and the Daily Prophet is, well, shit. This at least references Luna saying this to him right before his herbology class in chapter 13 Mm -hmm. though again it's slightly different in the setup oh yeah definitely since the book there were witnesses and here it's just the two of them yeah and she didn't like just come up running up to him and just being like we believe you in her adorable creepy way but it was incredibly well done Mm -hmm. the way that they did it so i'm not mad about it yeah Harry says thanks, but reckons that they're pretty much the only ones who do believe those things. And Luna disagrees. And she tosses the aforementioned apple to the baby Thestral, who, in typical toddler fashion, doesn't want a damn thing to do with it. Luna continues by saying that kind of attitude is exactly what Voldy wants, because if she were a super evil Dark Lord, she would totally want her enemies to feel all alone and abandoned by everyone. Because, you know, when morale is low, the hero is much less likely to hero. It's a very good point. Yeah. She gives him a dazed sort of smile, like Luna does. And Harry kind of smiles back as Luna pulls out another snack for the Thestrals from her bag. But this time it's some raw-ass meat. I just love that she has raw meat. Like, not wrapped in anything. Just loose. Just yeah. let me pull out this slab of beef right here. She's got loose, raw meat just in her bag. Just apples and meat. And I'm sure she just snuck down to the kitchens and asked the house elves to give her some to take to the Thestrals. So it's not like it was there for weeks or something like that. Theoretically, you know, yeah. But but at least put it in a bag. <laughs> Wrap it in some parchment. Wrap it in a napkin. <laughs> something. You just had it in your purse. Just meat and apples in her purse next to her pens and her fucking glitter barrettes that I assume she has because it's Luna. I think you mean quills. Or glitter barrettes. And it's the 90s, so they were the little clips. A butterfly clips? Yes. (laughs) It's some quills and butterfly clips, yes. Exactly. I'm just saying, but those were in there with raw-ass meat and apples. Sure, okay. Baby Thestral just goes fucking hog for this meat when Luna tosses it in front of him and gobbles it the hell up, and Harry and Luna just kind of chill out and watch and... He has zero questions about the raw meat in her bag, but whatever. You know what? I suppose after so long of talking to Luna, you're just like, yeah, I'm just going to go with it. This is the safest option for me right now. No, I think there's a lot of validity to that because he asked about her bare feet and she went with Nargles. So who knows what would come next? Exactly. He was just like, you know what? Not worth it. Not worth it. The Thestral is happy. I feel like I finally have someone on my side. 
a very supportive someone, too. Yeah. She had some great sound bites. She really did. The only thing is, I feel like the movie didn't make her crazy enough. Because Luna was pretty baddie in the fucking book. Yeah, they took away some of her best moments. They did. They took away, like, a lot of her eccentricities. And, like, yeah, they kept in the shit about the Nargles. And they kept in, like, the weird shit that she'd say sometimes. But they didn't really convey the fact that she would just come up to people and, like, look them dead in the eye and be like, Get in their face, basically, and stare at them. Protruding eyes. Well, they did the protruding eyes, but in their face. Yeah, but she wasn't, like, in their face. And she wasn't, like... The one thing is I kind of slightly pictured Luna as a little bit on the manic side when she would do that. Where she would just be like, hey, did you know this? Like, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, holy shit, I just read about this. And they didn't really give that to Ivana Lynch. But you know what? I still love Luna. But think about how good Ivana Lynch would have done doing it. Oh, she'd have kicked ass at it, definitely. Right? Would have been great to see. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that we just sort of segued into talking about this and Ivana Lynch because we would be at our actors section. Mm-hmm, yeah. We just gave you a little bit more of our opinion of Luna and Ivana Lynch playing her and stuff like that. So yeah. Harry, I feel like we've talked about enough and those were really the only two in this scene. So that was about it. We can just move right on to our Potter pondering. Which I know we haven't gone into full detail about this, but we want to go ahead and get your opinion now. What are your thoughts on the film having Luna tell Harry about the Thestrals instead of Hagrid? Interesting. I want to know. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget, you can also stitch a response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Marie Kula. She writes, The old Pottermore website sorted me into Hufflepuff, the new one into Ravenclaw, with which I identify so much more. My wand is 11 and 3 quarters inches and slightly yielding flexibility, made out of laurel wood and has a dragon heartstring core. My Patronus is an otter, just like Hermione's. I watched the first movie at my sister's birthday sleepover party when I was maybe six years old. My sister and her friends, four years older than me, were all so scared of Voldemort, and I found him funny-looking and fascinating. When I was seven, my parents bought me a bunny. I wanted to call it Voldemort, but wasn't allowed to. So I called her after my favorite character, Hermione. That's adorable. I know, I love it. That's so sweet. I actually love the idea of a Voldemort bunny. Right? Especially if it was like a white one with red eyes. Kind of like Banicula. Yeah. Yeah. But Voldemort. Yeah. That'd be awesome. I'm trying to think of a, like, Bunnemort. <laughs> Voldebun. Voldebun. <laughs> Voldebunny. Mort. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> anyway. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Marie. Yes, thank you so much. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is... What is Jupiter's biggest moon called? 
The first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag astronomy essay will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 14, Percy and Padfoot and the barely corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.